Before we jump into today's episode of Survivor Sanctuary, I want to let you know that you can become a supporter of this podcast and help offset some of the costs of bringing this podcast to you each week. You can visit anchor.fm slash Survivor Sanctuary, click on donate, and you can give an amount starting at 99 cents a month and going up to $9.99 a month. If you love the podcast and you want to keep new episodes coming to you, then visit anchor.fm slash Survivor Sanctuary and become a monthly donor today. More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Welcome to another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. This is Kelly, and I want to thank you for joining me today. Appreciate it as always. You know, before we dive into today's episode, a reminder that you can join us on our Facebook group. Just search Survivor Sanctuary Podcast, and you'll have to answer a question and request to join, and I'll add you as long as you answer that question correctly, which Everybody who listens to this podcast definitely will. Anyway, you can join us there. And I also wanted to remind you that if you visit us on anchor.fm slash Survivor Sanctuary, you can support your favorite podcast with a monthly donation anywhere from 99 cents and on up. So once again, it's anchor.fm slash Survivor Sanctuary. Well, on the last episode of the podcast, we talked about how churches just seem to want to put, quote, repentant abusers back into the pulpit. We know that it's happening everywhere. We talked a lot about that last week. I kind of want to build on the last episode of Survivor Sanctuary and talk this week about the reasons that a church is an especially dangerous environment to try and rehabilitate a child molester. Now, I don't think that many of the churches who are allowing convicted child molesters to serve in pastoral ministry would say that they're acting as a rehabilitation facility for child molesters, but that's essentially what they're doing. Um, Someone is caught in sin, as they call it, and is arrested, serves some time in prison, and then they get out, and this church is welcoming them with open arms and giving them a place to belong and essentially trying to disciple them and restore them to whatever position they were in in the past. And in some cases, just give them the position for the first time. We've had people on the podcast and I've um, heard a lot of stories about men who've served time in prison for molesting children and have then become pastors and they had no history of pastoral leadership. So essentially, that's kind of what churches are doing. They're serving as like a rehab facility for child molesters and pedophiles. And I want to talk today about what makes churches an especially dangerous place to do that. The first thing I think is important to mention is that unlike a school system, for instance, or therapist's office or a a medical facility, there is not a set standard 
for handling a child molester in your midst. There is no across-the-board rule of this is how it works in church. Well, there is in a school. If you're a convicted child molester, you lose your teaching license and you you can't teach children ever again. Like That's it. If a teacher is caught molesting children or if someone is caught molesting children, they're never going to get a job in the public school system again, provided that they were convicted and you know there's actual charges. It's the same thing in a hospital or a doctor's office. If a doctor sexually abuses a patient, he's going to lose his license. And that will tell you right there that that person can't be a doctor anymore. Uh, same thing with a nurse. If they're caught doing something like that, you lose your license and you can no longer serve in that capacity as a doctor or as a nurse. Or the same thing would go for a therapist. If you are convicted of molesting one of your patients or one of your students, you're done in that career. That's the law, that's the rule, and everybody has to abide by it. But this is out in the world, in air quotes, yes. In the church, things are way different because we don't, as I mentioned, have a standard of how we deal with someone who's been convicted of molesting children. And we can use the excuse that there are so many hundreds of different denominations all over the U.S. and all over the world, and everybody kind of does their own thing. We have the independent Baptists, and we have the Southern Baptists, and we have Lutherans, and we have, like, there are so many denominations, and it's kind of like everybody just makes up their own set of rules. And because of the separation of church and state, there is no law that says that someone who has been convicted of molesting a child can't be a pastor or someone who has been convicted of molesting a child can't be a youth leader or a deacon or some other leadership position in the church. And I think it's kind of crazy because pastors are mandatory reporters. Um, The government mandates that pastors report any child abuse that they come across But they don't mandate that someone who has served time in prison for sexually abusing a child is banned from church leadership. It's not a law. So essentially, churches are just making up their own rules. And that's why we see a lot of churches allowing pedophiles back into the pulpit and into positions of authority where they're trusted. And the church is the very last place on earth that you want to see this happening. And it's not for the typical reason that you might think where the child molester is going to be in a position of power and a position of authority and a position of trust. That is part of it, yes. And that is a huge problem. If you have someone who has preyed on people, then being blindly trusted by people because you expect that you're able to trust a pastor or a youth pastor or a deacon, unless you're listening to this podcast and then maybe you know that you can't always trust people just because they are in church leadership. But it's not even the position of authority or the fact that there are kids present that I think makes the church a particularly dangerous place to allow pedophiles to serve in a leadership capacity. I think that a lot of Christians in many different denominations tend to oversimplify the process by which a pedophile might change. That's one of the biggest problems that we're facing because as Christians, as believers in Jesus, if that's what you are, we tend to view everything through a spiritual lens. And if somebody is trapped in a sin, we'll quote scripture to them like, 
we don't wrestle with the flesh. We wrestle with powers and principalities. And we turn everything into, this is not a physical battle. This is a spiritual battle. And while that is true in a sense about many things, it doesn't change the fact that we are living in a physical world and we have to physically live out our lives. And this idea that every single thing is a spiritual battle, even if that's true, that every single thing is a spiritual battle, we still have to exist in the physical and we still have to live our lives in the physical. But as Christians, we almost use this as like a magic spell so that everything that we're dealing with and everything that we're going through and any sin we might be struggling with is a spiritual problem, full stop. It's not a physical or mental problem. It's nothing in your body or nothing with your chemical makeup or nothing with a mental illness you might be struggling with. If it's all spiritual, then it tends to be very easy to oversimplify For example, how a pedophile might be cured of pedophilia. Um, An example, you'll hear a lot of just trust God with this issue in your life. Just give it to God, you know, hand it over to him and he's going to take care of it. And you'll hear just trust in Jesus. You know, you have Jesus, you have all the power that you need. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And the issue with making everything a spiritual platitude is that you're ignoring the very physical reality that a person who is attracted to children whether that's influenced by the spiritual world or it's demonic or it's a war in the spiritual world, they have an actual mental condition that is causing this or their makeup is causing this. Uh, People typically don't just say, hey, I'm attracted to kids all of a sudden. It's something that starts very early. It's something that develops over time. And as people feed this attraction with fantasy and then acting out on their fantasies and actually molesting children, the problem gets worse and worse and worse. Um, I've never heard a psychologist, and I, I read them all the time. I watch YouTube videos of them. I listen to talks and everything I can find. And I've never heard an expert in pedophilia say that it gets better with time. It's always something that escalates with time, absent serious, serious help. We're talking intensive therapy. We're talking medications that can lower sex drive. We're talking serious discipline and acknowledgement of the problem and a keeping away from things that might tempt you to fall back into your pattern of abusing children sexually. Um, That's not happening with people who are in the church. That's not happening with child molesters who serve time in prison and then end up behind the pulpit. Because in the Christian world, it's not therapy, it's not medication, it's not science and research. It is, well, Bless God, this brother has asked God to forgive him, and he's a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so let's throw him into the pulpit because just saying those words and him just declaring, I've repented and I'm sorry for what I did and I'm a changed person, all of that just makes it better. And it's almost like this magical fairyland that we live in. It's not a physical issue, it is not a mental health issue. It is just a spiritual issue where somebody can say, oops, I'm sorry, and please forgive me, Jesus, and then everything is 100% fine. When people believe that way, in a church setting, a setting where people are trusting of church leadership, a setting where there is access to children, it makes that environment extremely dangerous. Our faith in God, our trust in Jesus, our religious traditions are not a magic wand 
that just gets us out of everything in the physical realm. Like sprinkle some fairy dust on it. This person is no longer a pedophile. That's really how it seems. Like that's all a person has to do. And then suddenly they can be restored to pastoral leadership, even though they've spent time in prison, mind you, for having sexually assaulted small children. What adds to this magical fairy view of our spirituality is another thing that makes churches an especially dangerous place to allow pedophiles. That is the church tendency to mistrust psychology, psychiatry, neuroscience, science in general. Now, I'm not saying that everyone who goes to church doesn't believe in science, but I'm talking overall, Christians tend to be skeptical of psychology, psychiatry, any science related to the brain we're a little skeptical because again, we feel like for whatever reason, in the organ that is our brain, that's an area that is purely spiritual, but it is an organ and it can malfunction like all of our other organs. And so sometimes you need a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a neuroscientist. Sometimes you need that. But in church, I'm growing up, psychology was frowned upon. Like if you needed therapy, you were not trusting in Jesus. And I did an episode about this um, a while back. So I'm not going to touch on those points again. I'm just going to say that when a church mistrusts psychology, psychiatry, science, then it becomes really easy to ignore the science behind pedophilia, the studies that show that it does not change. And in fact, if it's not treated and treated very well, it is likely going to continue to get worse. It is a condition that escalates. It's not something that's just going to magically go away on its own. If somebody's an alcoholic, they want to change and they cry out to God and, and ask him for help to change their lives. Do I believe that God helps? Yes, but he doesn't do all of the work for us. So an alcoholic, for instance, would probably need to go to meetings, would maybe need to go see a therapist to get to the root cause of the fact that they want to drink to the point of inebriation every time they open a bottle of wine or a beer. They might need to go to group sessions like Alcoholics Anonymous, and they definitely don't drink alcohol and usually stay away from places like bars where a lot of alcohol is present. There's work that has to be done and God doesn't do it all for us. But when we have this idea of our brains and everything that we do being spiritual and not physical at all, it's easy to think that the work is all up to God. Like if I just say I'm sorry and repent, then immediately whatever I'm struggling with just poof disappears with the magical fairy dust again and I don't have to deal with that anymore. According to science, according to people who have studied this for a long, long time, pedophilia does not have a cure. And without serious intervention, pedophilia is going to continue. And when I say serious intervention, I'm not talking about discipleship. You cannot disciple pedophilia out of someone. And I feel like that's what a lot of people in the church believe. Like if somebody just reads their Bible enough and prays enough, this desire that they have to sexualize children is going to magically disappear. Temptation doesn't go away. And the Bible is pretty clear on that, that there's temptation. It's always going to be there. It's something we're going to wrestle with. And yes, God can provide us a way of escape. There's always a way of escape. But it's up to us in the physical realm to physically take that escape rather than give in to the temptation. 
And it's a dangerous game that you're playing when you know that someone has sexualized children in the past, that they've actually raped children in the past, and to allow them to be in spiritual leadership over people, including children. It's a dangerous, dangerous game that churches are playing, and they're doing it all in the name of redemption. We are so quick as Christians to offer grace for anything anybody's done wrong, and grace is a good thing, but we're quick to declare redemption where you may not even know that it exists. Someone can say they're sorry for something and not mean it. Someone can sound really convincing and be lying. And pedophiles in particular are very, very, very good at deception. They have spent however many years it's been deceiving people in order to have access to children so they can sexually abuse them. This is something that just doesn't seem to click in the minds of a lot of people in churches today. Not everyone, but a lot of people, and especially in the churches where you're allowing child molesters in the pulpit. And if you know as a congregant that your pastor once sexually assaulted multiple children and served time in prison for it, um, and you're okay with it, you're definitely one of those people. And even more so if you are a spiritual leader who is allowing that person back behind a pulpit when you have full knowledge of the crimes they've committed against children. But we offer grace, we're quick to declare redemption, and then it's a just trust in Jesus. That's all you need. Jesus is all you need. You don't need therapy. You don't need medication. All you need is Jesus. Well, if you are a child molester, I want to say this, hear me out. Jesus wants you to go to therapy, okay? Jesus wants you to take the medicine. Anything that is going to help you to not harm a small child, Jesus wants you to do it. Okay? Like that's, I feel very confident in saying that. We seem to understand that trusting Jesus is not enough in so many areas of our life. Like you trust in Jesus to take care of you, but you don't pray that he's going to stop tooth decay, right? You don't just say, Lord, I know that tooth decay is a big problem. I know that it can cause cavities and it can lead to heart disease and and it's bad breath that nobody wants to smell. But Lord, I trust you. I trust you that you're going to get me through this and that you're going to heal me from this tartar and this plaque buildup. And you're going to prevent this gingivitis from happening. We don't do that. We trust in Jesus to take care of us, but we brush our freaking teeth because we have to physically take care of that. It is something that, yeah, it's because of a fallen world. Unfortunately, there is tartar buildup on your teeth. But if you don't take care of that yourself, Jesus is not taking care of it for you. Same thing with pedophilia. You can say all day long that you trust in Jesus and that you're relying on him for healing. But if you don't do any of the work associated with truly healing from something like pedophilia, child molestation, abuse in general, he is not going to magically fix you with no work on your part. This is not a knock against trusting in Jesus, by the way. We trust in Jesus for our salvation. We trust in Jesus for eternal life. We trust in Jesus's love for us. We trust that Jesus is going to be with us always, that he will never leave us or forsake us. But we still have responsibilities. If you want to stop drinking, you have to physically put the bottle down. If you want to keep not drinking, you've got to go to therapy. You've got to read books, maybe. You've got to go to Alcoholics Anonymous, all the things I mentioned before. And if you want to stop being a child molester, 
there's work you have to do too. And the problem with the church believing that it's just a blanket, like trusting in Jesus, asking for forgiveness for your sin of child molestation, and then everything's fine. You can forget about it and move on and never think about it ever again. The problem with that is that it's usually instead of the work that is required to change, rather than using our salvation, our redemption, our faith and trust in God as a means to help us heal, to help us move, to help us physically do what has to be done so that we can change. And even then, every study that's ever been done, okay, I haven't read them all, but I'm willing to bet 100% of them are in agreement that pedophilia doesn't just poof, magically go away someday. Like you're attracted to children and you're sexualizing children and then boom, you're just not anymore and you're attracted to women or men or whatever. You know, it doesn't work that way. Um, It's a chronic progressive condition that can't really be cured. You can manage it. As I mentioned, there are therapies, there are groups you can attend, there is medication that can lower your sex drive. But all of these things are are things you physically have to do. You physically have to go to the therapy. You physically have to take the medicine. You physically have to be a part of a support group. You have to physically do the work. You cannot just say, as what happens in many churches, well, God has redeemed me. I once was a pedophile, but now I'm not. Like, it doesn't work that way. And I'm willing to bet that in the vast majority of these churches— These redeemed child molesters are not going to therapy in addition to pastoring. They're not taking medications to lower their sex drive so that they can work on their attraction to children. I'm willing to bet they're not doing the things that need to be done or receiving the treatments they need to receive in order to have the best chance of not offending again because the church makes it too easy. God has washed you clean. It's all fine and dandy. Now you can be our pastor, even though you raped two small boys. It's like a fairy tale that people are living in. So I want to tell you a story that I think I touched on last episode, but I want to go over it again, talking about the fact that pedophiles really don't change. There are so many stories. I could spend every episode for the rest of my life here on Survivor Sanctuary talking about all of the child molesters who have served time in prison, have gotten out, and have reoffended. But there are a few stories that I want to go over with you here because I think that they especially drive the point home. This story is from the LA Times. There was a registered sex offender who was recently set free by an LA County judge a couple of years ago because he had been in a hospital for violent sex offenders awaiting trial. He had been arrested for sexually abusing children, but because of a serious breakdown in the system, He was never actually tried for his crime. So after he had been in this hospital for 17 years, he was released. Well, lo and behold, within months of his release, he was arrested again for sexually abusing multiple children. Now, court records show that a state psychologist ruled that this guy didn't meet the definition of a sexually violent predator any longer. While he was housed at this hospital, basically a rehab facility for sexual offenders, a psychologist found, yeah, he doesn't really meet the definition of a sexually violent predator. 
he's not a risk. Several others filed reports stating that he was at high risk to reoffend. And when he got out, within months, he had reoffended. Multiple children were sexually abused by this man. And the thing that should really stick out in your mind about all this, this guy served 17 years in a state hospital that is designed to help rehabilitate sex offenders. He was seeing psychologists. He was doing therapy. He was supposed to be receiving treatment to help him overcome his pedophilia to the point that when he was released, he would no longer be a danger to society. 17 years. And within just a few months of release, he was offending again. There's another story from just a few months ago from the Department of Justice. A man in Portland, Oregon, had served 12 years in California State Prison for sexually abusing a child. Well, he got out and enticed an adolescent boy to produce sexually explicit videos of himself and share them via Facebook Messenger. He's now been sentenced to a total of 17 years in federal prison this time and a life-term supervised release. He pleaded guilty to receiving and distributing child pornography. He was posing online as a woman, preying on vulnerable children to lure them into making sexually explicit videos of themselves and sending them to him. This was three months into his supervised release term. Three months when he began communicating with this boy via Facebook Messenger. 12 years in prison where he would have access to group therapy, to individual therapy. These are things that happen when people go to prison for sexually assaulting children. There is therapy available to them. And after 12 years of it, within three months, he was back to abusing children. I've told you about this book before, but it's a book that I read recently by Dr. Amy Zabin. It's called Conversations with a Pedophile in the Interest of Our Children. And Dr. Zabin was a therapist, a music therapist in the prison where a child molester was incarcerated. Now, he had been arrested in the 1980s and he is serving a life sentence. So he's never getting out of prison. And the whole book is an exchange of letters between the two of them and things that she learned about child molesters based on her therapy sessions with him and things that he wanted to share supposedly to help parents better protect their kids against people like him. She met him in therapy. They worked together for years. He had other therapies available to him in the prison. I'm not sure how much therapy he went to, but according to her, he was working on himself. And at the very end of the book, after his desperate plea for parents to get help for their children if they notice they may be acting out sexually after he talks about how terrible he feels for what he did to the nearly 1,000 boys that he molested before he went to prison. After all of that, the very last paragraph of the book, Dr. Amy Zabin turns off her recorder as she finished up her final interview with him. And as he stood up, I guess to go back to his cell. He stopped, paused, looked out the window and asked what time it was. And they told him it's 2.30. And he was like, yeah, the kids will be getting out of school right about now. All of that, this entire book, these years and years of therapy, years and years of supposedly being sorry for his crimes. He's still keeping track of when the kiddos are getting out of school even from inside the walls of the prison. 
These are just a few examples. Again, I could go on and on forever with examples of people who have reoffended. A lot of people will cite the recidivism rates for child molesters, but I really don't put a lot of weight in them. And the reason is because sexual assault in general is an extremely underreported crime. The vast majority of sexual assaults, the vast majority of child molestation is never going to be reported to the police. And of all of the cases that are reported to the police, only 29% of cases against child molesters will actually be prosecuted. And of course, an even smaller number of people will actually serve time in prison for their offenses. What makes it even more difficult to figure out how many child molesters get out of prison and reoffend is that Studies have demonstrated that the likelihood that a sexual assault is going to be reported to law enforcement decreases with the victim's age. The younger a person is when they're sexually assaulted, the less likely they are going to report it to police. So I don't want to hear, well, the recidivism rate is only like 20%, 30%, blah, 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 blah. It's not accurate. Because we already know that the vast majority of child molesters are never going to get arrested. They're never going to get told on. Because this is an extremely underreported crime. So we have churches who have access to all of this information. They have access to studies that show how likely a sex offender is to re-offend in the future. They have studies that show exactly how pedophilia affects people and the likelihood that they're going to be cured from it. And spoiler alert, the likelihood is pretty much zero. They have access to experts that will tell them if somebody truly wants to overcome something like the desire to sexualize a child, it's going to take a lot of work on their part, a lot of therapy, a lot of medication, a lot of dedication, and a lot of staying the heck away from little children. But instead of taking all this information and using the wisdom that God has given each and every one of us, because he gives us wisdom, he, he doesn't make all of these decisions for us. And that's what the magical fairy dust of spirituality and that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood kind of indicates that because we have Jesus and because we have God's grace and forgiveness and mercy and because God is a God of redemption, The science, the studies, the research, the reality does not apply. That, in a nutshell, is what makes churches such a dangerous place to give a child molester a second chance. Because you're giving him or you're giving her the chance to reoffend. And when they do reoffend, because they will, and another child's life is ruined, another child has to go through the remainder of their life bearing those scars and bearing the consequences of that sin. The people that have made the decision to allow that person into a ministry position or the people who had the ability to speak out against it but refuse to using stupid excuses like, well, that church is autonomous. So even though, you know, I'm a part of this network of churches and I know that this pastor is a child molester, well, I really can't do anything about it because, well, you know, all of our churches are autonomous and they make their own decisions. Using stupid excuses, they're going to stand dumbfounded and they're going to release statements expressing their great sorrow 
and asking for prayers for the perpetrator and his family and usually leaving the victim out. And they're all going to act dumbfounded that this could possibly happen. Churches should not be allowed to operate as rehab facilities for pedophiles. They're the most dangerous place for that to happen. I would love to see laws in place that actually prevent a convicted child molester from serving in the ministry. That would be awesome. I know that a lot of Christians, a lot of church people would freak the heck out about that. Like, oh, separation of church and state. The state can't tell us what to do. Well, the state shouldn't have to tell you that pedophiles should not be pastors in your church. They shouldn't have to. So if you take care of that yourself, you wouldn't have to worry about the government stepping in and trying to protect the children that you honestly should be very passionate about protecting because Jesus was. Well, those are my thoughts for today. I want to thank you for joining me on another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. Don't forget to join us on our Facebook group, Survivor Sanctuary Podcast. Do the search, answer the question, and I will add you into the group. I will see you next time on another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.